G'day everyone. Welcome to another episode of Conversations with Code 9. I'm your host Tiffany Cook and I'm an ambassador for the Code 9 Foundation and very, very proud to call myself one. The Code 9 Foundation is doing some amazing work around both raising awareness but also support for those within our first responder community who are navigating the challenges with PTSD, trauma, and just some of the mental health hurdles that come hand in hand with a career in these fields. Today, I'm speaking to a very special guest, Alex Presney. He is the brother of Josh Presney, one of the four police officers lost in Victoria's single deadliest incident, the Eastern Freeway tragedy back in April 2020. We have a beautiful conversation today about loss and grief and trauma and returning to the job and I just can't thank Alex enough for sharing everything that he did with us in this conversation and I really think that you guys are going to love listening and if you do of course come along and join us in all of the online communities we have a Facebook group and a Facebook page and an Instagram and there is plenty of support and content to hopefully help your journey in whatever you're going through. Alex Presney, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure. How are you? We've had a few IT issues. Look at us go. Yeah, we've got it working now. I'm in a room, just a, an empty room at work. So, yeah, it's pretty good. A little bit of quiet time. <laughs> That's nice to just take yeah. some time out from, you know, work and have a yeah. chat. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I'm all about. Introduced by the wonderful Mark Thomas from the Code 9 Foundation, Sergeant Mark Thomas. You know what? Mm. He always brings the most wonderful guests to the show and <laughs> I don't mean to drop you in it, but he's spoken very highly of you. So. Oh, well, I couldn't speak more highly of him either for all the help he's given me and everything along, you know, being thrust into this. It's good to have an ally like Mark, you know, as a, as a friend. I don't consider him a colleague. I consider him a friend as well. He's a bit like that, isn't he? He's a bit yeah, like that. Yeah, he's got those good tendencies. Or unless you're just like me who befriends everybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, these, these days I am, yeah, but I don't really want to be not friends with anyone around, especially here. I like to just do what we're doing. I just talk to people. <laughs> Probably find me incredibly annoying, but I just talk to people. Yeah. When did you and, uh, when did you and Mark connect? When and how? Oh, I think it was probably mid-2020 when he sort of, after the incident of um, the Eastern Freeway crash, I think it was just in sort of due to association and he thought he reached out to me saying, you know, this is probably a good uh, uh, thing for you to jump on board with. Um, and it, it was so good to have an organisation that, that he um, put together about about trauma, about assistance for emergency services um, who have been through yeah, hell and back, their own versions of hell and back about yeah. um and he's just been just been so good with just helping out, just being there for for people, for myself and um yeah, can't I can't thank him enough for just being bringing me into his his community. Yeah, yeah. For, okay, so for everyone listening that might be going, what's the Eastern Freeway thing incident? Do you want to give us a little overview on what little reminder? Yeah, yeah, it's it's um so in on April twenty second, twenty twenty, um it was uh, an incident that saw police officers four police officers lose their lives and one of them was my brother, um, where a, a truck that was driven by driver who was sleep deprived due to drug use, um, and all sorts of things crashed into a group of police officers who were performing a routine check on the freeway for 
a vehicle that was speeding and um, of the of the same sort of offence of um, being under the influence of, of drugs. So, and yeah, one of them was my brother who was part of the highway patrol unit as a, during his training phase. And the other one was for the, um, the road policing drug and alcohol sector unit that had pulled the car over in, um, in the first instance. And uh, Kevin King and my brother, Josh, they were the highway patrol unit as backup. And uh, Lynette Taylor and Glenn Humphreys were the other units. And um, unfortunately on um, impact, they all lost their lives due to, this truck uh, hitting them, driven by someone who shouldn't have been behind the wheel. Oh, it's so heartbreaking. Mm. And as I understand it, your brother was fairly new to the role. Is that right? Yeah. So he graduated in, in December 2019. Um, and as I said, he's um, he was doing his placement on the on highway patrol. Every every recruits and um, new members do a placement on highway patrol, and that was his. I think it was going to be one week or two with another Wilding Highway Patrol unit, as that was his the catchment area that he was in, and um, yeah, hadn't oh god, yeah, graduated how many months? Five months. And Glenn was even graduated less, Glenn Humphreys, um, and jo- but Josh was the um, at, in terms of age, the youngest. At um, he was twenty eight um, yeah. when it happened. Yeah. And how long have you been involved in the police force? Um, I'm in my seventh year now. I started in the academy twenty November 2016. Mm. So, yeah, coming up a fair bit of time now, which is uh, strange looking at all the registered numbers that are sort of coming in through the job now. It's like, whoa, <laughs> I'm old. <laughs> so I've had a bit of time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What yeah. was for you, what was that like to, I mean, we're always having conversations about, police officers and first all, all first responders and, you know, getting to peek under the, you know, behind the scenes at what it's really like and what some of you guys are going through um, that often until these conversations, us mere mortals out mm. there running amok, we don't, we don't think about or realise. But I also imagine there's just a whole new layer of something like that, that news breaking in front of you. Is mm. it... Is it something you ever have an awareness of with your family in the job or yourself? Um, an awareness in what in what capacity? I guess the expectation of the of a danger like that of 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 a, of a trauma that's going to hit so close to home. Mm, it's 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 a bit. I, I I can see it on on both ways. For me, I have been. Um, a real advocate for things like it's things that aren't people think that are part of the job, but I personally believe that they're just not, you know, dangers and trauma that we expect as police officers. We all sort of go, yeah, there's dangers in our jobs. There's this sort of thing happens. And I get a lot of, a lot of the trend and things that I was saying is, you know, the danger and it, it being, it's part of the job. And I say, I, I don't believe that it is because it's just it's just not something that anybody should really consider and really have as part of their mantra to be to have the potential for death or serious injury as part of their job. It might be something that's a little bit seen as a little bit naive or a little bit heroic, but I consider that and I believe that because um, – there are so many other things that we do this job for. 
Mm. And when trauma affects us and when incidents like there could be incidents like family violence incidents, um, traffic incidents, um, a lot of grisly sort of things that we see and people just go, oh, that's just part of the job. And we go, well, I didn't join the job for that. I joined the job to help people. It's a simple, it's a simple one. I didn't think that I was going to be and, – and, and maybe it's it also – Knowing of the traumas doesn't, and also being naive to the traumas that could occur to us, maybe that's how it affects us in different ways and mm. how it's very difficult to broach them when they do hit us because it's not something we go and have in the back of our minds every day that trauma is going to hit us and danger could hit us at every um, every term. Um I don't. I, no, I never have, and I don't wish that any other police officer goes out thinking that today could be their last shift. Um, we do it for totally other different reasons than that. Mm. What was, I guess, the experience of your family as well? How was it? What came up for yourself and for your family for you continuing to go to work when something like that? Do you know? Did you have an awareness on that? Oh, absolutely! Yeah, it was. So it's been. It's, yeah, to get getting back to work after it, it was a long and deep and thought out process. Very, um, a lot of things came through, and a lot of things, and sort of playing devil's advocate and the positives, the negatives on this happening to um, my brother. You know, my parents' son and things like that. It says that there's a lot, there was a lot to think about on why, how, when, and where yep. there would be the time, the, the appropriate time to go back to work. But it's always been since um, Josh passed away about the whole part of going back to work is that I always knew that I was going to go back to work. I always knew that I was going to return to be a police officer because. It's not for Josh. I made this career choice and this pathway for myself. I had my own reasons as to why I wanted to be a police officer. And a byproduct of it is now and, and a strength of it is now to make Josh proud. It's not the, the sole reason. It's a part, a part, partial reason, but I want to do myself proud because this is what I wanted to do. And even though I've had a major setback, it's, you know, it, it, it can be, it can be career defining. It can be um, very difficult, but as a family, we, yeah, we spoke a lot about how, how we're going to do this. I know that I, it was always like from the very beginning, I knew it, but how were we going to do it? How are we going to get to this stage? How was I going to get to? And there were lots of different times where I would come into the office um, and sort of figure things out. I'd have a, a fear of um, the job. I had a, a nervousness to the thought of going back to work. I refused blatantly at times to go back to work because I just wasn't ready. And now, luckily, there's been a good transition with treatment that I've that I've sought of um, it turning onto the positive leaf because I don't know. I've, I've been I've, it, a lot of the, I'd say time had a good thing to, a thing to do with 
my recovery and mm. also the actual treatment that I, that I received. So those two mixed together created a good recipe for when the time was right. And that was probably in the last sort of four to six months has been the been the best time where it's actually I've been at work five days a week with with a particular unit and I'm glad that yeah, the timing has been right for for this, but mm. definitely soon after it was just a we're not even gonna think about the future. Right now is focusing on what happened to Josh and how this is going to transpire for the future for me. Mm. It's such a murky thing because we, you've got. I feel like you've got more than one layer of things going on. You've got mm. you've got trauma, but you've also got grief as a separate entity. In mm. addition to that, so grief and trauma, and I think both of those things, you know, especially grief. Grief is something that I, th- I remember someone saying to me once: grief, you don't move through grief. Grief no. moves through you. Yeah, and it is its own. It is its own beast. So trying to navigate certainty and uncertainty and and our normal human nature and then layering upon that trauma itself mm. like that it's huge i think yeah it came in it came in different waves and in different times where for the predominantly it was it was grief and it's it still is mm. trauma i would say was was going to be the one that was i'd go okay that one's probably going to be the the easiest to tackle that was going to be the easiest one to um, seek treatment on and things like that. But in terms of grief, I knew from the, from the get-go that this wasn't going to change anything. This, this, uh, the grief of losing your brother at, at well, how old was I, 27, and he was only 28, that was just that's, – that's, that took precedent over anything. It wouldn't have mattered whether he was in the job or not or whether it happened another way. It would have been the exact same because for me, it was struggling with the fact that he's not here anymore. Mm. And throughout my entire life, he always was. So that is what was the most difficult for me. I never thought there'd ever be a time where I needed to, where I relied on my brother for support, but it was the fact that because he's not here anymore, that's what made it so much harder because I always thought he would be. There's never ever, and probably most people who have siblings and other pa- parents, other family members where you just think that they're just part of your life like, and they're stuck to you like glue. And I think I don't want to speak for mum and dad as well, but that's probably exactly what they're going through too. The fact that is that, and it is a totally different, grief as well when you lose a, a child and I touch what I never have to go through that again but sorry as 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 they did but it's always just that thought of you don't have what you never thought you would ever lose yeah and whether again I thought that we think that that was just you know we always knew that yeah death is part of life but one thing that we just struggled to deal with a lot was that how is and probably probably a lot of people is when they lose somebody's how did this happen to us we don't mm. we, we didn't you know expect this sort of thing to happen we don't take risks we don't you know we haven't had any close calls or anything like that in the past where you know we've been involved in this our yeah it, it is just you your life has taken a sharp 90 degree turn when you never wanted it to and you didn't ever think it would 
Mm. What for you was, I mean, there's the whole idea of post-traumatic growth and I just feel like in a situation like yours, there's, like I said, there's so many dynamics to it. What for you did you experience or did you feel you had a sense of control over? Nothing. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be honest. I had very little control over um, a lot of things mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, because it all came at once. It all Mm. sort of happened in its own way and it all kind of just hit me at the worst possible times and possible moments. Sometimes I couldn't even see it coming. I would say to to describe, it was like I had a different personality programmed into me and I had no control of dealing with this and or no control of how to just had no control over it. Didn't I did, it was something that was that was completely foreign in terms of handling emotions, in ha- handling social situations, in handling um, your own mental health, and things that when that would be introduced to you over time, they became a little bit more like you could brace for them. You knew that they were coming. They, but other times it had a really ugly side to it, and a side that. I've said to a lot of people when it came to reflection that they would, I would go, I'm just so sorry for the, what became of me at times and what this did. I never ever liked to use it as an excuse as, or as like, oh, yeah, this is why I'm doing this. I, I would just plainly say, this is, what I, this is what I am. This is what I've got. I'm working on it. I'm trying to, uh, I'm being self-aware about, what this is all doing. I'm trying to figure out reasons why, trying to make sense of this all. And I'm trying to get back to what I was. I'm trying to get back to my personality. I'm trying to get back to who I am. And there'd be people who might go, oh, we didn't see anything different in you. you." But that's lucky for them because, yeah, I went through a phase where I just had nothing about myself that was I, I, I to put it to put in short and again I don't want to speak for mum and dad but I speak about them because of our relationship is that we all lost our identity mm. we all lost our purpose and identity mm. and even though people might go well how how does that happen when you just when you lose a family member and it's it's weird you think that you just go through grief and missing somebody but you lose a lot of control or, and identity and it's scary. It's really difficult to comprehend and even even explain. I find it so interesting. It's like a timely conversation coming back from, you know, the end of the year and the t- I feel like for everybody it's been a kind of a crazy grief-ridden year on all mm. sorts of levels, um, fortunately for many people, not to the levels you've experienced. You've layered that on top of the COVID chaos. Mm. But I feel my sense of this last year is that people kind of getting to the the end of the year and collapsing and going, oh, like, hang on a minute, we've all been through something. Yeah. With most experiences in life, the ability to step outside of your normal operating system, step outside of life as we know it, 
can help us get perspective. But when you're in the middle of grief and trauma, you can't hop outside of your, your no. mental and emotional experience. Mm. And that's what makes this so difficult. Self-awareness, I find, is a really tricky beast in itself. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. and especially get, getting self-awareness. And I, I'm always interested in the trauma and grief conversation because we, when we learn something about ourselves and we get a, we peel back a layer of self-awareness, which can be really empowering, it can be also really disempowering and becomes yeah. an anchor. Yeah. And I just think for people listening that might be in the middle of their own feelings of grief and trauma, it's really empowering to hear that that exists and that's just a part of it. Yeah. And there's just a part of being, you know, how do we support ourselves in the middle of that? How do we be compassionate to ourselves in the middle of not really knowing who we are or how we are yeah. or and not trying to have always have control over our behaviour? Like being aware of it is sometimes enough and being able to communicate that, yeah, yeah. yep, sorry, I know I'm being like this and, and I'm it is my aim to do better. But... Mm leaving it there because sometimes that's, you know, that's where we're at. Yeah. Like you, like you said, exactly with it being disadvantageous because you might consider it and other people might go, yeah, it's fantastic that you're aware of it. And, but then on the other hand, the response could be, yeah, but it's not a good thing still, still not what I like, but it's sort of, you have this seesawing about of, opin- of opinions about it where it's like, yeah, I know I'm self-aware, but it's still not having the best outcome. Mm. That's where you said it can be a, a bit of an anchor for you. It doesn't fix things. It's just great. Yep, I'm self-aware. But at the same time, that helps you with your development on how to do better, not fix it, but just do better. Yeah, yeah. I think about it like boxing training, you know, like I can't learn how to slip a punch until I box, by the way, just in case you think this is a weird analogy. No, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I I cannot learn how to slip a punch and counter a punch without wearing a lot of punches, you know, and so it's the aware, you know, it's, it's that learning process of being in the middle of something and going, oh, right now I'm being a bit of a loser. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I, we, yeah, we, that's we have, okay. Yeah, we have, we liken a lot of our mental um, battles to sport because yeah, we do sport as well, triathlon, run, long distance running, and things like that. And sometimes we we go look in terms of you know, say you might be training and you're trying so hard, you go, I'm, oh, why aren't I getting quicker? Why aren't I feeling stronger? And you might just go, well, that is just all I've got. That is just where we, I have to leave it. This is I can't force if I can't force my my mind to fix itself. I can't or I can I can't also do that to my body. A mind has its own capacity as well. You can't as a, as a much spiritual thinking, reflecting, um, divulging into things. There becomes a time where you just can't fit anything else in, and that's mm-hmm. where you've got to just sort of let your body and your mind. Just do its thing because yeah, it, it has a capacity and that's what I, we have all discovered a lot of and that has, that has been helpful both physically and mentally in, in terms of our physical sort of fitness and things like that but also, yeah, in, in a mental capacity. Sometimes mm. we, we are what we are at, at, at the moment. We want to do better but we can't force ourselves to. 
Mm, I love that. Little Birdie tells me you're somewhat musical, Alex. You're somewhat talented. Just a little bit. Just a oh, little musical. Bit. <laughs> I'm not going to. No, I'm very bashful and shy when it comes to people going, oh, sort of thing. So, I, 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 yes, I, I do. I, I love <laughs> music was music as, as well. I keep sort of harping on about how we are as a family. It makes us like we're the Brady Bunch or something. But um, as a family, we have always been musical just sort of you know not not in the way that i expect people to think that we can just we just pick up instruments and sort of play things we are musical in a way that i think ever since me and josh were kids we mum and dad introduced us to to music um that whole family is and and you know further generations is musical um and also it's what is keeping us um, connected. One of the things that is strongly keeping us connected to Josh. Josh was an absolutely incredible guitarist and musician. And I've said this a few times where he um, started playing the guitar. I think he was in grade six. Um, wanted someone to play with, so I took up the drums. And yeah, ever since then, it's just been, you know. We played, you know, bands together, jammed together, and then. But to form a band with your brother, it's it's uh, it can be difficult, especially with our contrasting personalities. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, over time, we sort of just formed a a good alliance and a good um, understanding as a whole uh, with with music, and that's how we connect. And I had somebody ask me the other day. Um, what are your triggers? What, what do you have any triggers and things like that? When it was, well, I think it was about PTSD and that sort of thing. And and do you have any triggers? I think they were expecting the answer to be something relating. But I said, oh, music, actually, is is a trigger. And she was like, oh, what do you mean by that? And I said, oh, songs. And it's yeah, I'd say um, auditory sort of things like music is a trigger, but not in a bad way. It Sort of, I might hear something by Stone Temple Pilots or Silverchair or the Whitlams or those sort of things that were Josh and you knew and it took you back to mm. a time we might have been listening to that music. Um, and that's all it was. It was those simple things that were just so special, bittersweet, but also special because they just reminded you of of that. And one thing that we don't shy away from is that, is music. There's a lot of things that I, I, I would never, ever want to, um, for that sort of thing that was so important to us to be something that we could never do anymore. Like to say, for example, I could never play the drums before, any, anymore. I could never sing anymore. I could never do what I loved, which is what it was. And so what I did is that I learned how to play the guitar. I learned how to write music. I learned how to do all this sort of stuff because I was because it gave me a sense of empowerment that, one, I was – achieving a goal, which was learning something, which is mm. learning and learning something very important. Um, obviously, nowhere near the skill level of what Josh had because he had, uh, you know, almost a decade's worth of or perhaps more than a decade's worth of playing the guitar. Mm. Um, but I just as well, I, I was like, oh, let's do something. Let's write music. Let's write for Josh. Let's write stuff that, that I enjoy. And... Um, I've released songs that, that I've put on Spotify and, I, and that are just 
and and I've said this to like a lot of you know friends and people who have helped me with with the music, and it was like with music, how do you, how do you make this you know an absolute masterpiece? Because that's because that's what you want when it comes to um, your musicianship and how you write and play. You want to be the absolute best that you can. You want to write the most powerful lyrics. You want the most powerful song possible, but. At the time, it was all that we had, and it was in my mind. And what I wrote lyric-wise was what I was feeling about mm. this whole 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 thing. And um, it's been well received, and I'm very appreciative of everybody who's listened to it, and everybody who's you know gotten on board. And or, you know, I've gotten things. People said, "Oh, I've added all these songs to my playlist," and I'm like, "Oh, wow, thanks!" Like it's 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 so. Um, humbling and it, it feels so good that people, you know, are supportive of that, mm-hmm. of what I'm doing and with, with you know, with music and this sort of thing. And so, yeah, I've, I've, we'll always continue to just do better and, and to learn more things and just use it as something that's just a really, really strong connection between us. Yeah. Music is, is quite incredible in that way, isn't it? It, it takes you back to moments. But I just also feel like especially in your position right now it would be so deeply cathartic to be able to yes i just think of the idea of expression and expressing and speaking and feeling heard and i think that whether we are writing music playing music listening to music uh we are doing that so i feel like it's a therapeutic thing you know when you can hear a song and align it with something you are going through you feel heard when you can sing the lyrics in the shower you feel like you've spoken and that in itself is quite incredible that's it it's just and i've always had that thought about music there's you know there's i I like to you know you like you said you feel music you it's and when you and as well when you put music together you want to make sure that it's just I, i i would do things like when I'd be writing music or just thinking of things, I'd go, nah, it's not hitting me hard enough. I want to, I've got to find something that's really what I'm trying to get out here. Or, you know, when you, when you listen to things, you know, you might put on your emo playlist because that's just what you want to do at the time or your metal playlist or your, or your lo-fi playlist for whatever reason, music can just seriously give you everything you need, whether you're constructing it or listening to it. It can be something that's – but like you said, you feel heard. You feel it's calming for, for me especially. It's so funny. I was, I was listening this morning as I was driving back here. I was listening to an album and it was one of the first albums I ever got and it was – I looked at the year. I was like, what, what year that was released and how many more albums this artist has released since quite a few because it was 1995 and I'm and – because. She got one out in 1995 and I think 1998 and I listen to those two all of the time and I feel my mind go back to life back then and I visualise things and it it fills me with feelings and memories Mm. and I've gotten stuck in that world of music for like I'm that person. I don't ever, like I rarely look for new music. I cling to this Mm. old stuff and it's just that emotional attachment that we have. Yep, Absolutely. I guess it's kind of made me question recently like, oh, I should, I wonder what, you know, let's look at life now and then and before then and after then and why that music? What, like, I want to know what was going on 
in that time of my life that I'm that maybe I'm attached to that's not just the music, that's not just the album. Like maybe yeah, it's something right. else. Yeah, it's it's something there that album or that time of of listening to that artist because you didn't really know it, but it but it just sort of it created this core memory for you, and that's why you, yeah, I I do I do the same when it comes to a lot of things. I, I would say. <laughs> And it's probably like for a lot of people my age, when you go back to the emo era of um, and punk rock and that sort of stuff, is because maybe maybe you might have been a brooding teenager. You might have been you were really going through a part of your life that you were really trying to get through and really trying to. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that that for me is uh, I have other things rather uh, rather than things that remind me of Josh. I had the exact same thing. I, I take myself back to eras with music mm. that um i found i would go say for, for my parents and other people 1985 probably would be the best era of music ever hands down in 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 mankind man and womankind it would be the best era of music but then for my generation it would be that era that we love and we hold on to because of some sort of connection that it gave us and for yes. me it was was pretty pretty strong. Tell me your top two or three 1985 songs. Oh, I don't know. I don't. I don't know the the specific the specific sort of years. But I'd say out of the whole of the eighties, it would have to be anything uh, Van Halen, "Dreams" by Van Halen. Um, I know that, and a lot of this stuff is because of yeah, again, because of mum and dad. Yeah. Anything Kiss. Uh, um, all, all the stuff that you know, I, I know of because of mum and dad. Um, mm. Groups like Go West, Duran Duran, all those sorts of uh, Michael Jackson, Huey Lewis in the News. All that sort of stuff is stuff that we just all know. And if we were listening to it around, I don't know, just together outside having a beer, we know all the words. But that's not, but that's just because we just know the music off by heart. Yes. And that, yeah. Yeah. All that sort of stuff that that's just you know part of our. But then, but then in today's era, it would be you know the bands like Green Day. Green Day was one of the very first bands that I think I think Josh saw for the first. Yeah, it was the first band that he ever saw live. Same with me. Um, and then rolled on to just discovering and this this sort of journey of discovery with music that Josh had. And I he'll probably say, and it's true that I followed. <laughs> I didn't, you know, a lot of a lot of influence that I had was because of Josh. But yeah. then there came a time where we sort of went our separate ways about how we um interact with music. There, there were some times where he would go, you know, why, you know, they're no good or why would you listen to them when he's got his own style? And I'd be like, we just have opposing opinions, Josh. There are things that we both lo- love, but now we're branching out differently. I my brother's seven years older, and I my parents listen to country music, so I used to get the flack <laughs> for that because I was I think my first cassette. Like, don't tell anyone because no one's listening to this. No one's listening. No. Um, don't tell anyone. Us. But it was James Blundell. It was a cassette, <laughs> and when I bought it, I took it back to my sister in law, and she was like, 
that's what you picked. She's like, no, mm. we've got to go and change that. And I thought I was really cool. Yeah. I thought that was a cool choice. I'm yeah. like, I've got this cool cassette. And she's like, no, mate, that's <laughs> not cool. <And laughs> <laughs> but his music, so he was seven years older and I still listen to all like R.E.M., Tom Petty, yep. Cat Stevens, and I just love that music. So I just will go out and seek out albums that I remember seeing in his room. Mm. Quite ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's like for me as well. Like there are times where I never thought that I'd be, you know, the the music that was on Josh's playlists and things like that. You know, now they're on mine, and I go, Mm. oh, is it just because you know he's not here anymore? But then it's not. I'm not listening to them because. I love them. I'm not, you know, I'm not listening to the Goo Goo Dolls because I'm a massive Goo Goo Dolls fan. It's because I'm a massive fan that he was a fan. Mm. I'm a massive fan of the Stone Temple Pilots, Soundgarden, and those, and and the '90s grunge scene of of music as well, and alternative music. Um, I'm not a fan of them. I'm a fan of Josh and his style because it because it creates contrast between my style as well. Mm. And it makes me sort of go, if people will go, well, geez, I didn't know you were a fan of these of this. And I go, not really, but my brother listened to them, so I'm going to. I'm gonna in a way see what all the fuss was about. And 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 two, keep playing it in a way that it's like a bit of a shout out and a bit of a going, yep, yeah, I'm still spinning it for you. Yeah, yeah. Mm. If I'm playing it, he can hear it. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, he's still got his um playlists on Spotify that, you know. Dad listens to, and you know, in in a, in, a, in a way, there are. It's so bittersweet because on his playlists and listen things like that, he's got playlists named named Dad and oh. camping and things like that. And oh, I've got goosebumps all over yeah, my body right now. Yeah, Dad one, two, camping one and two, and those sorts of things, and just and he'd have one called um, Home and things like that that he just. Never put them together for sentimental reasons like that. He made them because, oh, I'll put these songs together because it's good for me and dad to listen to or good to have at home or good to listen to while we're camping. Mm. And we still play them Mm. because sometimes we go, there are times, yeah, we'll go, we go, nah, or that's uh, that's, that's really difficult. And one thing that I observe um, a lot is when – I can't remember the band, 1927. Um, that's when I think of you and um, Father's Day. I can't remember who it's by, but they're the ones that are really like they're not they're not sad songs, but it's just like nah, that's that one's a bit just too difficult. We're going to skip that one because mm. we still have they they do still the knife still does twist a little bit when you know they might come on so. Yeah. yeah. When you lose someone that close to you, and this will be different for everybody, and only if you're comfortable sharing. But mm. where do where do they go for you? Or like, where do you find them? Everywhere, and that sounds so cliche, but I find him, and I, I, I feel him a lot, and I feel him very close. And I think that is a, in a way is that because he never wanted to leave. Um, there is a version of what I like to call, if you call it heaven or 
but there is a version and a place where um, he there is a place where he is. He comes and goes as well. Is what I found. He comes and goes when it suits. And early on, it was very prominent, and I saw him in and and heard him in, and I still do in the rain. And that was his version of how to make noise, not music. It was almost like he was making whatever whatever noise he could make. And, and I still do. And sometimes we'll go, you know, we might be out for a run. It's been a beautiful sunny day and it starts raining and we'll go, thanks, Josh. Like, we'll, and, and because he was an absolute, uh, he, he, he stirred everybody and he always thought he was just hilarious. Whenever there were times where something might, I don't know, happen that was like, it seems like a bit of a stitch up, something like that, we might go, that was Josh doing that for sure. Of course, that was that was, you know, Josh playing a trick or Josh doing this, and yeah, it might have just been coincidental. But then there are sometimes that are uh, we go, it brings you comfort to know that he's doing that sort of stuff because you know you can't take that away from anybody as well. If, if and luckily there's never been anybody who goes, oh come on, it's just a coincidence. That's not true. Mm-hmm. You can't take it away from anybody. If anybody feels somebody's presence around them it's so special and again Mm. we never thought that we'd ever have that sort of experience and that sort of feeling about you know going oh wow that that that's new like that's something that's different there might be times where i would think about josh more often than not there might be days where i go oh geez and i said the other day geez i've been He's been on my mind a bit, not not in a way that oh, of sadness. It's just been I've just been thinking about him a bit lately, and just sort of you know what he's doing, what he's up to, and but yeah, there's this in terms of where do they go? They don't for me. They don't, or I won't say they. I'll say Josh. Josh hasn't gone anywhere. It was uh, what we sort of made a discovery was that yeah, he's he's. His body and his physical being may no longer be with us, but we learn how to live with them in a very in a in an invisible way, in a different aspect, mm. in this non-physical form. And there might be some people who just don't want to do that. It's it's incredibly hard for someone like my dad. That's been incredibly incredibly hard because, like him and a lot of other people, might be a I don't want to have to do that. Why should I have to do that? Why do I have to live with this now when it's not as simple as that? The simple thing is, is that he was here and now he's not. So why am I having to make this decision now to go work out how to live with him when he's not here? But to put it into into the sim into the simple terms, I think that he's he's everywhere. Mm. And that's cliche, but. It's 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 true in how I feel. Mm. Do you feel like, and I always like I even find it hard to word the question. Do you feel like because of the what's happened, you are almost in a sense more connected? Or there's are there positives that you can draw out of, or, or are there things that you deeply appreciate that you realise you never would have had the ability to appreciate before? Some things. Um, luckily, we had such a, f- a strong relationship 
between the two of us and as a family. So I I would say in terms of, you know, I would never think that I wish I did this or I wish that I, I appreciated this more. But I would say in terms of um, appreciating his form and what that form is now and what in, in, in a way giving him his, giving him his strength um, even though he's not here and talking about him like mm. he is here, like he's in the next room, talking to people about him like he is here, keeping his memory alive. That's what I have found an appreciation for because um, as hard as it was to have to do that, uh, we owe that to him because he never wanted to leave. Mm. And, yeah, I would would definitely just say that that has been something that has kept us positive and given us an appreciation for, you know, because we because we knew what he was like as 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 a person we knew him and we didn't have any regrets or anything like that there was not wasn't that sort of thing going oh well, I wish that I was to do this and I now I can't appreciate this anymore mm. it was in a way that our our knowledge and our cup was full about who he was um, but I would say yeah just making sure that especially because it was. Um, on duty as a police officer, it was to appreciate um, the fact that it wasn't just a a police officer who's died. It's a person. It's a brother. It's a it's a it's a son. It's a it was a, a boyfriend, a friend, and that's what I'm trying to make sure to always keep at the forefront. He wasn't it wasn't number one as a police officer. That was number five or six years, everything else um, leading mm. up to that. So I've, I'm, I've learned how to appreciate that. What was the best, when you reflect back, the best thing that somebody around you did or said in a moment where you realised, oh, that's just what I needed and it's not, you know, like I just think of we don't know what to say when somebody's suffered what you've suffered in terms of grief and loss and what, what helped you? That might surprise people. Encouragement. Yeah. Just encouragement. And, and you know, like what we always say, action speaking louder than words. There was a lot of um, when, when you found someone that you could align to strongly like Mark, um, mm. someone like Mark is always going to be there. He's mm. always going to, you know, grab on at the other end if you need. And so the things that stick with you are people like that, people in this in this job and in people in this life, friends, family. And over the time you sort of not in not in a in a bad way or in a um vitriolic sort of way is that you learn you learn a lot very quickly. I learn a lot about um, appreciation and, and, and legitimate appreciation you have for legitimate people. Mm. Um, and that's not to say that, you know, well, the, there's people who, you know, you'd never, who never follow through in terms of um, 
if you needed help and things like that. But the ones who actually out of, you know, without needing to put your hand up and say, I need help, the ones that will just ask how you're going out mm. of nowhere mm. after long periods of time, people who will include you in things, people who will encourage you just and just say, you're doing such a good job mm. because I've I've never known what sort of job I'm doing and, and, and how I am going on, on the outside. I've never mm. sort of thought, uh, but but I have always thought, geez, am I doing this right? Am I? <laughs> how do people see me? Yeah. And it's such a difficult thing. To, it's like you want to ask people, or ask your closest people to go, am I doing okay? How do I look? Does this look big on me? Does this look mm-hmm. scary? Or what am what am I supposed to do? So when you get those people who give you the encouragement that you want, because for me, in specifically. That has been something that I've needed, and I'll be honest. I need that um, thumbs up and that pat on the back to go. You've done well. You have done well. If if I have, but just to say, just to say, and if I'm trying, just to say, for people to say everything's okay. Mm. That would be the one thing that I have. I would say for you know anybody who's going through a similar situation because there are so many people who are mm. just to that it is okay to fall in a heap and it is okay just to break down and it is okay to not have a purpose but at the same time a little bit of work does need to be done on there and it's to find those people who always be there for you because they are there and yeah. but it, but to grapple for grapple for where they are is sometimes very difficult. Yeah. I had a a good friend of mine right before Christmas suddenly lost his son and earlier in the year I lost my dog, which that was the biggest exposure to grief that I'd experienced or that I could remember experiencing. And I remember the second day after one of my friends, Charlie, one of my PT clients, messaged me at 7 a.m. and said, you're doing really good. Now hop up and go for a Mm. walk for Coachy. Coachy's my dog. And I remember in that moment I read it and went, how does he know? And I got up and I went for this purposeful walk. And every single day after my friend before Christmas lost his son, every day I just thought, I don't – what." can I say to you that's going to have that effect? And I just, you know, having I'd done episodes on my show on grief with grief experts around the world because I was like, well, okay, this is a weird thing. Let's figure out what's going on with humans when we suffer loss. But still after all of that, I still just felt at this loss of what What do I say to him? Like Tim's mm. not a dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I and I think everyone's well. listening, thinking the same. They're listening and they maybe they know someone that's lost somebody and they're thinking, yeah, I, I don't know what to say. I don't yeah, know how to yeah, be there. Yeah, and yeah, that, is, you know, that is totally fair enough. No one's <laughs> – it's funny when you, when, when you said grief expert and go, how, how is anybody an expert <laughs> on grief? I would say it's, it's somebody who – just knows the process and knows the, the, 
the you know the basics, you know, yeah. the one on the one hundred ones on 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 grief. But there are so many things that you know you could go to a grief expert and they go, "Whoa, I have well, not, <laughs> haven't yeah. haven't experienced that before." But I get it at the same time, and yes. I had the, the same sort of thing where people who were there were people who were dealt with the incident and they felt like they couldn't come to me. They couldn't sort of or people who were affected by the loss of Josh, like my friends and his friends and things like that, where they would go, I shouldn't come to you, should I? And I'd go, no, please do. Because whether we know it or not, it's going to, it might bring us closer. It might bring us together here. It might make you feel better because, and the same with someone like my mum as well, where after a while, it got a little bit tedious when it came to where not helping people who were dealing with the loss of Josh, but we were connecting with them because it helped us too. And mm. people's automatic reaction was, oh, no, nah, I can't. Nah, it's not for me to come and tell you how upset I am. Obviously, if you go about it tactfully, then yes, it's okay. But if there are people who sort of, yeah, there were people who sort of came and were sort of emotional dumped on on us and that was sort of like mm. yeah yeah it's it's it, it, it compounded things but when it came to when we were really just trying to people who wanted to talk about it and really get across that they were affected by it it's really it, it was difficult to and even to this day when I talk about Josh people they don't know what to say if I were to talk about Josh or make a joke about Josh, it's a bit of nervous laughter or a bit of, oh, yeah, you know, don't sort of don't say anything to cross a line or joke back or he might get upset. It's, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm the only one who can mm. say anything or talk about it. I yeah. want other people to talk about him and say how they're feeling about it because it gives him his dignity back that there are people who are um, – mourning him and who are missing him and who were important to him. And that's what I want. I want there to be all these people who go who and the, and this large community of people who are affected by it in, in the weirdest way possible. You don't want this big sort of community of mourning, but you want there to be people who meant a lot to him and, and, and vice versa. And that's, and to me, that's special, but for a lot of people, it's, it's very hard to sort of, approach that properly yeah yeah for everyone listening that wants to go and check out some of this music that you've written about him <laughs> how do we find it oh, it's on spotify or, or apple music youtube it's 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 sort of anyway if you just type my name into any of these sort of things it should come up there are three tracks there um all different the one of them was is written you know solely about um Josh and this and this initial process. The second was about how to deal with. Um, it's kind of like it was kind of like ad, ad, admitting that there's something going on. There's something wrong with me. There's something that I'm I'm struggling, but it's okay. That's probably what I broached on about having those people around you. It's I I, I sat forever trying to come up with a track title and talking to James my producer on it about you know and he said don't worry it'll come it will come to you and i was trying to force it and just write down all this sort of stuff and random letter generator word generator and that just wasn't work and then mm-hmm. one day it came to me and the words as long as you're there came mm-hmm. and that's it's it's not said in the song 
as long as you're there was about as long as someone is there. That's all I need. No matter what I'm going through, what whatever difficult phase, it could be something, someone, somewhere. As long as that is there for me, then we're going to be okay. And the third one was um, about a bit of impatience, a bit of about, you know, everything that's going on. Why is it still going on? It's because it's called wait for the day. And it's, it, it is simply as that waiting for this to fix itself, waiting for this sort of, you know, trying to be impatient about it, trying to fight this, trying to make sense of it all. Um, and knowing that there, there will be an, an end to this, but right now it's pretty frustrating. So, mm. yeah. I love that. I love that. We might put the links to all of those in the show notes so right, yeah. everyone can go and listen to them on repeat. I will be. Oh. I think it might be me. It might be my new this next decade of obsessive listening will be those hopefully, tracks. I do hopefully. tend to put things on repeat and just yeah, <laughs> ride it out for decades at a time. So, Well, if you could do it, that'd be great. <laughs> Alex Presney, it has been such a wonderful pleasure speaking to you and I thank you for, for sharing everything that you've been through and for everything that you do. It's really amazing and our listeners will love you. So thank you. And, hey, everyone, thanks for tuning in again. Thank you. Yes, thanks very, very much for having me, Tiff. I really appreciate the opportunity.